It's been a couple of weeks since we were in Philippians. Um, Last time we were, Jake preached on the passage where Paul says, it's right before this one, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Anyone remember that? All right, people are listening. Um, And he was asking, is that true of us? Is that true of you and me? Do we believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Is that what brings us joy and fuels us? Jesus Christ is building his kingdom in the world. And are we bearing fruit for that kingdom? So Paul, the Apostle Paul, was intent on living a life that honored Jesus, right? And you can feel his eagerness and his enthusiasm in everything you read in Philippians. If you remember the very first sermon on Philippians, Jake pointed out that that feels over the top. We don't talk that way. If we try to talk the way Paul talks, it often sounds fake because he's so happy. He's so joyful. And Paul is trying to bring us along into the same joy. That's one of the main things Philippians is doing. He wanted to live a life that was full of useful work and service to Jesus. He wanted, he wanted to live a life as a citizen of heaven, a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's what, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to read from the screen since I forgot my Bible. Seth, would you put that up? All right. Here. I'll stand aside so you guys can see this. Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, citizen of heaven. Did you see the word uh, citizen in anything I just read? You, You didn't, right? That's what I want to talk to you about today. But the reason it's not there is, well... It was a bad decision on the part of the translators, I think. When it says, behave, when it says, there we go. When it says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, there's a word there that has the idea of a citizen exercising their rights. And a better translation would be, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, Behave in a way that citizens behave. That's, that's, that's the connotation of, of the word. And citizenship is something Paul will bring up later in the letter. End of chapter 3, I think. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. So he's weaving this idea into the letter. It's on purpose. And let's talk about the city of Philippi for a minute. You, you may remember, Jake has brought this up several times, that Philippi was what sort of city? Can someone tell me? What sort of city? What was it full of? Military, that's right. A lot of military families. Why? Um, So Philippi had been around for hundreds of years before, before Rome got powerful and started conquering the world. But Rome got powerful and started conquering the world. So they conquered Philippi, and they refounded it as a Roman colony. Now, to be a Roman colony... That was Emperor Augustus who did that, if you're a history buff or if you want to tie it into the rest of the New Testament. So Emperor Augustus 
He refounded as, as a Roman colony, and he added to its populations by sending army vets to live there. And there were lots of military families in Philippi. But what did it mean to be a Roman colony? Um, it, meant, it meant that if you lived in Philippi, you were a citizen of Rome. Now, not everyone in the Roman Empire got to be a citizen of Rome. What did a citizen get to do? A citizen got to vote. A citizen had a right to a trial. You remember that our Lord was crucified on a Roman cross. There's a special, gruesome method of execution. If you were a Roman citizen, you would never be put to death that way. That was for people on the outside. If they were going to put you to death, it would be a beheading. Quick, easy. Bad, sure, but not compared to a crucifixion. Roman citizens had lots of perks. And the Philippians knew what it was to have perks as citizens. Philippi was even more special than that. They had special tax breaks. They had special tax breaks that, like, the podunk towns didn't get. So they had all this cool stuff, and they were happy. And when you're in the military, what do you think? Do you feel more or less loyalty to your mother country? More, right? They're Romans. They have all the privileges, all the good stuff. Better stuff than other Roman citizens, even. That's Philippi. So, what was it like to be in Philippi? Well, to be proud of being Roman. That's what it meant to be a Philippian. We're Romans, baby. It's the best. And you know, imagine the other kind of peer pressure. Hey, don't dishonor the Roman Empire. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Keep your nose clean. We're Romans. We're proud to be. We make the Roman Empire look good. It's the least we can do. Does anyone remember, was Paul a citizen of Rome? I get a thumbs up from the, the senior pastor. That's right, you are correct, Jake. Paul was a citizen of Rome. Yeah, so if you, if you read the book of Acts, there's, there's a scene that's in Acts 22. You may remember where Paul is arrested by Roman soldiers, and they're about to flog the stuffing of him. Kids, is there a kid in here who knows what flogging is? Okay, Peter. Beating, but well, specific kind of beating. What kind of beating? Will? Yeah, but more specific. What's flogging? Not as close. With a whip. Flogging, flogging. So they're, they're about to flog the stuffing out of Paul because what better way to find out if someone you've arrested deserved to be arrested than to flog the stuffing out of them? It's just what you do. It's a good way of getting answers. Should we have arrested you? What did you do? <laughs> so that's, that's Rome for you. And Paul, just as he's being strapped down for the, for the whipping, he says, is it, uh, is it lawful for you to flog a Roman soldier, who hasn't ha a Roman citizen who hasn't had a trial? Whoa, you're a Roman citizen. Oh, whoops. That's the end of that. Paul's still in chains, but he doesn't get flogged. Bad, bad, bad to flog a Roman citizen without a trial. It's a nice perk. Kind of like, well, we should know what this is like. It's nice to be a citizen of the most powerful nation on earth. It was nice back then. It's nice today. There are perks, right? Okay. A commentator I read who was talking about the verb that's not you know, doesn't show itself as act like a citizen in verse 27. He said it has the idea of exercising all your rights and privileges as a citizen. 
And the Philippians understood that. And so Paul is poking on something. What's he poking on when he uses a verb like that? Well, these Philippian Christians, they're in kind of a different position now that they're Christians. It's not the same for them to be citizens because their first allegiance is not to their mother country anymore. The hand that feeds them gives them all the perks. It's not to Rome. It's not to the Roman emperor. Who is it to first? It's to Jesus. Their primary citizenship isn't Roman anymore. Don't you think that would cause a little bit of tension? They're part of a different kingdom. They're part of a different nation. It's a, it's a kingdom ruled by Jesus Christ. It's a nation created by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the church, which Jake was talking about today in Sunday school. And only after being part of that nation are they part of the nation of Rome. Only after being Christians are they ethnic Italians, ethnic Greeks, ethnic Jews, whatever they are. So think about Paul writing this letter. Where is he writing it from? He's a Roman citizen. He's in a Roman prison. He's under guard. And he's suffering. Why is he suffering? Because Paul is a citizen of another kingdom. And he won't shut his mouth about it. He will not shut his mouth. There are many points along the way if Paul had just shut his mouth. He wouldn't have to be under arrest as a citizen of his own country. It wasn't hard. Now how would you feel? You're in the Philippian church. You're part of a military family, maybe, likely. You're on the right side of the big kahuna. And then, what are you thinking about as Paul writes, and he says, you and me, we're together. We're together in this. You're thinking, is there a day going to come when the Roman Empire points its spears at me? What's that going to be like? Paul is saying, Welcome to my tension. I'm not sad about it. I have a smile on my face as I sit here in prison. And it's not because I'm happy-go-lucky and I don't know that suffering stinks. It's not why. It's because I'm a citizen of a kingdom that is better than being a citizen of Rome or the United States or name your country. And Paul's saying, you're with me, now follow me. Follow you where, Paul? In, into prison, into getting beaten or tortured or, or killed, as Paul did one day, killed by the Roman Empire. Well, maybe so, Philippians. Maybe so, Americans. Wherever God's Spirit leads you. It's part of being a citizen of the gospel. And the first thing we see in verse 27 is, let your manner of life be worthy. I see. Uh, I'm, reading, I'm reading the translation. Behave as citizens, worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. One thing that's easy to forget when you read these letters is that when you see you, most of the time, you is what? Is it just you, 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 you? You is, it's y'all. You is y'all. And I'm from the South, so I should know. You is y'all. He's saying, y'all, together, you live like this. What does that tell us about being a citizen of heaven? Citizen has a people. Citizen has a people. We're supposed to live united as a church. That's, that's our, our citizenship is with each other. It's in heaven, and it's with each other. 
How do you live together as a church? Hide your sin from each other, probably. Think, think about how other people aren't as good in you, as good as you, and this and that area. Um, refuse to talk to people who you don't have a natural liking for. Because why bother? No. As citizens of heaven, we live together a life of love and unity. We live with one spirit and one mind. That means we think the same about who Jesus is and what he means to us, and it means we love each other. Um, The next part of the letter goes into a lot more detail about what it means to live with one mind. Jake, God willing, will preach on that next week. But there's enough here already for us to understand the gist. What's the gist? Paul thinks of the Philippians as part of himself. Everything he's saying here, he's already demonstrating just in the way that he writes and what he reminds them of. What's the reality? He's tied up his happiness with their happiness. Paul is happy if they're happy. He wants to know how they're doing. He wants to know that they're standing firm for Jesus. Yeah, he knows he's standing firm for Jesus. But what makes him really happy? That they're standing firm for Jesus. He thinks of them like this, like one thing, one people. I'm with you. I'm here for your good, through thick and thin. In Philippians 1, 3 through 7, seems like a long time ago now that we read it, Paul says, you're partners with me. You've loved me. I've loved you. We serve together. If my life is hard because I'm chained up here and I'm not enjoying chicken dinners, what makes it sweet? You're thinking of me? I'm thinking of you. You're remembering me in your prayers, and I'm remembering you in my prayers. You're doing the work of telling people about Jesus. That's the work I'm doing. You're you're doing it not in prison. I'm doing it in prison. But we are together. And that makes me smile. I'm in chains, but I'm smiling. It's not because I'm dumb. It's because I know what makes me happy, and it's you. Having one mind, standing firm in one spirit, Paul's been demonstrating it through the whole letter. It's how he talks. It's what he's telling them. He's giving them his example of how to do this. He wants you and me to think of each other the way he thought of the Philippians. He wants us to be dear to each other. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you tend to think, well, those people, especially in a letter like Philippians, That church must have been particularly sweet. They probably just liked each other. And that's why Paul can talk this way. Well, let me say this very gently and, and winsomely and kindly. Don't be dumb when you read about other churches, other Christians. They're just like you and me. They're not any easier to like. They're really not. They're not any easier to love. All of us come with annoying quirks, Terrible sins, baggage, we're conflict waiting to happen. Some of us grate on each other's nerves. Now, I won't tell you who I'm thinking of right now. I'm not thinking of anyone right now. Um, but we do. It's just who, it's who we are. The Philippians were no different. The only person who that's not true of is Jesus. Everyone else is like that. And that's the people we're supposed to be united with, with each other all of our crud and darkness. Think about the image of striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It makes me think of soldiers marching. I don't know if that's really what he was trying to evoke, 
but it's a good image. Soldiers marching together. You stand or fall together. If you're a citizen, if you're an army, you're together. Or you're not doing so hot because you stand or fall together. You're one people. A lot of people talk about unity today. They talk about it in our country with increasing polarization. They talk about it in the community. They talk about it in schools. Talk about it in churches sometimes. What is our unity? How do we define it? Our unity is based in the truth of the gospel. Jesus makes us one people. He defines what it is to love. He defines what the good news of salvation is. He defines our unity. We don't get to define Jesus the way that we want. We don't get to define love the way that we want or the way that our culture wants us to define it. We define love the way that Jesus defines it. We define Jesus the way he defines himself to us. We don't get to create God as we wish he were. And if you're honest with yourself, you ought to know that you wish God were certain ways that he's not. And you run up against that when you read scripture. You just should know that about yourself. You don't get to do that. God bends you to his will. He bends all of us to his will. Here's who I am. Here's who you are to be. This is what's good for you. And there may be many kinds of unity that the world wants today. And some of them are fine. Some of them are not fine. But none of them is the same thing as the unity that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ. We have something special because we are the people for God's own possession. We are the ones who God has marked out as himself. Us, the church. The church, the big C church across the world that loves and believes in Jesus. That's not a kind of unity you can counterfeit. Now, that kind of unity is hard. It's hard work, but it's a privilege. It's a privilege of being a Christian to have unity like that. Okay, what else does a citizen have? Let's go to the, to the next part. Let's talk about a privilege we don't want. We didn't ask for it. Um, unity is one thing, even if it's hard. But who wants the privilege of having enemies? Maybe some of you do, but maybe you're just cantankerous. I don't know. Do you want the privilege of having enemies? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And we don't want opponents. So what kind of opponents? Well, Paul's life was full of opponents. There were a lot of kinds of opponents. Let's just, let's just go through them real quick. How about, we already talked about it, the government being your opponent. The emperor of Rome. Caesar, the big guy. Who's at the top of the food chain? The emperor. Don't mess with the emperor. That emperor opposed Paul's message, imprisoned him like a criminal, would one day have him executed. Okay, what about, what about, just think about the other Roman citizens while you're thinking about politics in your country and how you're perceived. Think, think about the way that the other Roman citizens start to be able to smell that something is different about you. You don't fit in with the others. You don't fit in with the others. They begin to smell what? A threat to the status quo. Making trouble in Philippi with your new gods. You have a different king. You say you have a different king. You say you have one lord. Caesar was called Lord. That was one of his titles, Lord. So when you say, we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you're making a political statement in Rome. Does that make sense to you? 
It's a political statement. You don't get to throw that title around. Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, no, we have a Lord and his, his name is Augustus. We have a Lord and his name is Jesus. These Christians, they're not playing ball. In Rome, another thing you had to do was sacrifice to the emperor. Why? Why do you have to sacrifice to the emperor? Because the emperor says, I'm a god, I have divine status. Now, I don't care what else you do. You want your other weird religions? We're Rome. We embrace our arms and we open them wide and we give all the other religions a big hug. You're all welcome here, all of you. Just under my boot here, that's where you belong. Just acknowledge me, top of the food chain, the big kahuna. I'll let you do whatever you want. You can have your bizarre Jewish sect about the guy who you say rose from the dead. That guy we crucified. Fine, we don't care. Just acknowledge, I'm Lord. No, no. It's just a formality. Come on. It's just a formality. You can keep your religion. Just acknowledge me. No. That's a, that's a disruption, Paul. We're going to have to take care of that. We're going to have to squash that. And more of the emperors than not spent a lot of time squashing Christians, killing them, persecuting them, torturing them, trying to just get them to go through the political formality that everyone understands. Sacrifice to the emperor. No. That's why Chinese Christians get persecuted today. You say, well, that doesn't happen today. Of course it does. Chinese Christians are arrested and persecuted and spied on, and they have to go to underground churches. Why? They just won't play ball with the state. All the state wants is just a little bit of control over what they believe and who they bow to. China comes first, and then Jesus. No. No. America doesn't come first, and then Jesus. No. Jesus comes first, and then we're citizens of America. And we can be good citizens, but we will not bow the knee to another Lord besides Jesus Christ. What about members of your own family who oppose you? A lot of you know the pain of that. Just don't like that you're a Christian. They wish that you put the family above Jesus. They don't like it. They cause you pain. They oppose you. They're your opponents in that sense. Okay, what about other religions? What about fake versions of Christianity? So Paul knew all of this stuff. He, he was raised in a false version of the true religion, a false version of Judaism. And when Jesus came, Paul was prepared not to believe in Jesus, but to persecute the church and kill Christians. That was what he wanted. He knew what it was like to be in a false version of the true religion. And when Paul came out of that, he was opposed by his own people. No one was dearer to Paul than the Jews. No one was dearer to him than his own flesh and blood. What did he want? He wanted them to know Jesus. And he suffered for that. And they opposed him. Don't forget that Jesus is the Savior of the Jews first, and then the rest of us, the Gentiles. That's what we are, unless you're Jewish. I don't see any Jewish people in here. The tragedy of the New Testament is that the Jews rejected their own Messiah. God has promised that they'll come back to him, but for now, that's still how it is. Israel is not friendly to Christianity. So, Paul did all of this 
took on all of this opposition in the context of a massively powerful empire that you make one wrong move, they're going to squash you. And in fact, it was the work of the Jews to stir up trouble against Paul so that the Romans would squash him. So that's a lot of opposition. And Paul is sitting there in prison. And remember, I really think if you think of him smiling as he writes this letter, you'll have the right idea. I I just can't help it. When I read this letter, I just think Paul is so happy. (laughs) to be writing this to the Philippians. And what does he say? Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. Brush it off. Brush them all off. We have a protector. That's one of our privileges as citizens. We have a protector. We have God as our protector. We're waiting. We're waiting for our salvation and the destruction of those who oppose us. Um, So that brings us to another privilege that we really don't want. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So that's not what I expect when I'm reading this passage. It's not what I expect Paul to say. But it's a key principle of Scripture. The principle is simple. All right, you ready? Living a life of love for the sake of the gospel and dealing with opposition without fear is a sign. It's a clear sign. It's a clear sign that you're a citizen of heaven and your opponents are not. Okay, why is that a sign? It's a basic part of reality. It's as much a basic part of reality as when I do this thing. You know what I mean. I mean, let's de-escalate this. I don't mean any harm to you. Let's take it down a notch. Let's not have a fight. I think that's pretty universal. I don't think you have to be just an American to recognize, oh, okay, I get it. Like, hey, no, it's all right. So Paul is saying, just to be clear, this is a sign like that's a sign. Like a sign to everyone. A clear sign to everyone. Everyone can read this sign. Now this is not how we think about our world. This is not how we think about ourselves. Okay, I'm going to explain this as best I can. The God who defines what love is, right? And sent Jesus as an expression of that love is the God who has given everyone everyone, some real knowledge of himself. This is how the Bible talks. You know God through what you see. You know God through the witness of your conscience. Everyone has some actual knowledge of God, even if they spend their whole life trying to suppress it, to repress it, to forget it, so that they can be their own gods. That knowledge is still there. God's made himself inescapable, inescapable to everyone, to you and me and everyone we see. And that God is who we represent when we live as Christians, when we live as the church. No one can fail to realize on some level that when they oppose God's people, they oppose God. Okay, did, that, did you get that? Let me, I mean, let me say it again a little differently, because I think this is a heavy one. The reason that living a life of love for the sake of the gospel and dealing with your opponents without fear is a clear sign is this. When we live as Christians... People realize on some level that God is speaking to them through us. It's not possible for those who oppose us to fail to realize we are opposing God. It's not possible. It's not possible for them to fail to realize on some level you are the people God is going to save. We're the ones God is going to destroy unless we stop opposing Jesus Christ. That is the nature of reality. Is that how you think about reality? It's not how I think about reality. 
This is reality as God defines it to us. This is an explanation for our world and for who we are in it. This is an explanation. This should clarify things. This is how the Bible talks about us. It's part of our rights and privileges as citizens of Jesus Christ to be a sign to unbelievers. So do I have a big ego or something? Or what is this about anyway? Do you have a big ego? You might, maybe you don't want to be assigned to other people of their own destruction. Maybe you don't want to see people that you care about who oppose Jesus destroyed. Good. Neither did Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus loves his enemies while they're his enemies and brings them to himself as his friends. That's the gospel. If you love Jesus, what are you going to do? Gloat? No, you're not going to gloat. You're going to love people. Think about Paul in his prison cell. Why is he there? Why is he there? He's there because he loves the Jews. He went back to a dangerous situation in order to love the Jews. He went there knowing, if they can, they'll probably kill me. They oppose me. They oppose Jesus. I want to go back to them. I love them. He goes back. He talks to them. They try to kill him. That doesn't work. The Romans jail him. They try to have the Romans kill him. That doesn't work. And what is he doing in jail? Well, in jail, he's witnessing to his Roman jailers. Some of them become believers. I think we learned that at the end of the letter. And he's crying over the Jews. He says later in Philippians, I tell you now, as I've often told you, with tears, that some live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul doesn't gloat. But Christianity has hard edges. It has hard edges. It's a sharp sword that divides us. And can you hold those two things together? The sharp, hard edges and the willingness to suffer for your enemies out of love for them. Can you hold those two things together? By the Spirit of God, we can hold those two things together. We can hope that God will use our suffering to bring more people to know his love. We can hope that even the people who cause us to suffer, who oppose us, will know his love. That brings us to the last verse, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So think of this as Paul explaining the core of our citizenship to us. The thing that makes sense of everything else he said about what his life is in jail and what our lives need to be. He's reminding us that one of the highest honors we have as citizens of the gospel is yet another privilege you didn't ask for and you don't want. And none of us wants it. It's suffering. That's why he says it's been granted to you. Granted is like, here's a gift. Here's an honor. There you go. I don't want that. It's a gift. It's an honor. It's an honor to suffer for Christ. Now, not suffering, there are a lot of ways to suffer as a Christian. Not suffering for being a jerk. Not suffering for being a loudmouth. Not suffering for being a doormat. Not suffering for being passive. Not suffering for being insufferable. But suffering because, why? You love Jesus. 
you say things that are difficult and true to people you care about in the church, that can cause suffering. Outside the church, that can cause tension. You live a life of love. You care about God. You want to please him. You want to, you want to, you've, you've known the way Jesus suffered to love you, and you want to be part of it. It's an honor to be part of it. In heaven, you won't have the opportunity to be part of it. No more suffering in heaven. No more enemies in heaven. This is your chance. And it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. We, and when you do, what does Paul say? Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now you hear I still have it. You, you, you come into solidarity with Paul. Paul's dead. The Roman Empire's dead. The gospel lives on. If you suffer this way, you will understand what Paul meant and what he felt. You'll understand it. It will make more sense to you. Why is he so happy? (laughs) Just be miserable, Paul. No. Why is he so happy? (laughs) Suffering for Christ is a way to understand that, to be engaged in the same conflict that Paul had. And if you are a Christian and you love Jesus, if God has made himself known to you, you actually are already in this conflict. And you can repress it or deny it, or you can run away from it. Or you can say, this is for me. This is, this is my calling. <laughs> this is for me. It makes sense of my life. This is our calling as a church, to live as citizens of the gospel of Christ. And to show the love of God to the world that way. That's what we're called to do. And that should be our heart's desire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the privileges you've given us as citizens. We thank you for the ways that you have loved us and made yourself known to us. And we thank you. We thank you for the love of the Apostle Paul and his joy in the midst of his suffering. And we pray, God, that we would desire to have that strength and to honor Jesus in our life or in our death. We don't know what's coming. We know you are a great God. We pray that we will accept all the rights and privileges of citizens of heaven and that we will live that way. We pray that you would bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen.